Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Today's episode is going to focus on the complicated world that we've created regarding identity. It used to be simple. Those were the days. We're going to start with a sweet story about mixes and mixes, and then dive into a story about the all-new, vastly improved Jackie Robinson, and wrap it all up by letting the experts tell us where we're wrong. So with that, sit back and enjoy. We can file this one in either the who asked for this or the it's about time file, depending on your level of wokeosity, found pretty much everywhere. The specific article I'm using is from the WashingtonTimes.com. Headline, M&M's reboots cartoon mascots as gender neutral, more inclusive. My guess is that this evoked an almost immediate reaction and one or more emotions. If you need to pause this podcast and explore your feelings for just a few moments, I totally understand. And, and, and while you're doing that, just to refresh your memory of the up-until-now pure, unadulterated, chocolatey hate, go do an image search for what they used to look like. Let me give you some time to process. Okay, that should be plenty. So what is Mars, the parent company of the M&M dynasty, or or should I be using a more appropriate non-gendered version now, say mix and mix? What are they doing to ensure that not only do M&Ms not melt, but neither do the minute percentage of snowflakes that seem to be running the insane asylum? Well, Jane Huang, the global vice president for M&M's and Dove Galaxy said, quote, we took a deep look at our characters, both inside and out, and have evolved their looks, personalities, and backstories to be more representative of the dynamic and progressive world we live in. Okay, first, I have examined many an M&M inside and out, and they were delicious. Second, if anyone had their buzzword bingo card out, you might have just blacked out the card. I mean, she tried to hit all of them right there. So here are the changes to our M&Ms to make them more inclusive. Diverse? Unifying. Whatever. The green female, can I use that word still? Green? Will now wear sneakers rather than knee-high boots and act more confidently as a walking, talking cartoon candy. Uh, The brown female, I, I feel racist just by saying that, will wear plainer eyeglasses and trash the stilettos, opting for some more sensible low block heels. I mean, that makes sense. You know, her her feet have got to hurt at the end of the day. Now, green and brown will be a, quote, force supporting women together throwing shine, not shade. Sorry, Uh, I'm okay. According to Ms. Wong. And I just have to say, women? Only women? Oh, that's pretty gendered and really exclusionary, if you ask me. The males, as if they matter, will act in less traditionally masculine ways, and and may I say, it's about time. I, for one, am sick of those guys spreading their toxic hate. So, red will be less bossy, 
Orange will apparently explore his feelings. He'll acknowledge and embrace his anxiety, and that's exactly what I need in Eminem that's going through an existential crisis. Blue is cool. Don't worry about blue. And we're getting rid of prefixes like Mr. or Ms. So Ms. Brown will now just be Brown, right? So I, I guess we'll be looking her direction and shouting, Brown to get her attention. Hey, you. No, not you. Brown. Yeah. Okay. So that seems totally fine. All right. So she goes on to say that packaging, mascots, merchandise, it'll all change, you know, for diversity. Ms. Wong, <laughs> nice prefix, Jane, said that M&M's is on a mission right now to create a world where everyone feels they belong. Huh. Okay. From Ms. Wong's LinkedIn page, she posted, Today I am thrilled to share that the iconic M&M's brand is on a mission to create a world where everyone feels they belong. A world for all fun kind. <laughs> uh, it is an concrete commitment. That, not me, that's her. It is an concrete commitment of what M&M's has always believed as a brand that fun is the most powerful way to include people and help them feel they belong. One of the ways fans can feel and see the M&M's purpose is through our beloved characters who have evolved looks, personalities, and backstories to be more representative of the dynamic and progressive world we live in. Fans will also see a fresh, modern, and inclusive look on mms.com, M&M stores, as well as content, properties, and experiences beginning this year. Thank you to the incredible Mars team and our agency partners who have been so dedicated to creating better moments that make the world smile. Hashtag proudly Mars. Hashtag for all fun kind. This article goes on to outline some reactions to the announcement. And I'm just going to say these are fantastic. First, from the conservative side, we get some comments like, this is a huge win for the oppressed M&Ms. And M&Ms are not only fictional, but also literally a rainbow, and yet still they are apparently not diverse enough. Okay, I mean, come on, conservatives, those are okay. But, but from the inclusive, loving, liberal side, oh, we get some real gems, such as losing the voting rights bill and getting woke M&Ms instead feels right. And women... Everyone's lives would improve if we had things like paid family leave, universal pre-K, affordable childcare, and the ability to make informed decisions about our reproductive futures. Capitalism. LOL, no, but please enjoy these feminist M&Ms. <laughs> and finally, my favorite, we just wanted the police to fund it, reparations and trans lives to matter, but instead the peanut M&M is now a they-them Afro-Latinx. No POC or queer person was like, wow, I really do wish more M&Ms looked like me. Okay, okay, I've read this a few times. You're going to need to stop laughing now. I mean, they seem really mad. <clears throat> I mean, this is hilarious, right? But what's really going on here? Well, from a human standpoint... We are literally in the dumbest period of our existence as a country. All these woke snowflakes screaming and yelling about how their democracy is being destroyed don't realize that if we were a true democracy, the trans world of less than 1% of the population would have no say 
the LGBTQIA2 plus community wouldn't have the ability to sway political opinion. The non-white citizens wouldn't have enough clout, enough voters to do anything. The fact that we live in a constitutional representative republic, not a democracy, is the only thing that gives them voice. They scream for bodily autonomy until it comes to something they're afraid of, like a cold. Then your body is no longer your choice. They're fine with defunding police until they need the police and they're not there, and they absolutely hate capitalism and tell us that all the time on various social media sites, angrily tapping out messages on their iPhones. What is typically considered Western society is in a freefall. The lunatics are in fact running the asylum. To believe that a baby isn't a baby until it comes out, and even then, I mean, you know, shouldn't there be a trial period before you decide to keep it? To believe that the softer drugs aren't a gateway to harder drugs. To believe that there are a hundred or more genders. To believe that the system that gives you freedom to say and post pretty much anything you want is evil. And a more oppressive system is needed in order to make you truly free. These are literal markers of insanity. This is cognitive dissonance. And yet, because society caters to emotions because we don't want anyone to have boo-boos on their feelers, rather than facts, truth, and reality, we allow anyone that cries, I'm oppressed, to set the agenda and direction. What Jane, or Mars, may not realize, but from the lefty comments they may be getting an idea, is that no matter what they do, it'll never be enough. How long before we must have homosexual M&Ms? transgender M&Ms, M&Ms that accurately reflect a certain ethnicity that's only voiced by someone of that same ethnicity. The concept that we need a candy to help us feel a sense of belonging is illogical and bordering on lunacy. It's candy. I need you to fuel my emotional eating, not cater to my emotional health. I just want my favorite flavor of M&M, mine being caramel, to fill my belly until I feel too sick to eat anymore. That's it. Just give me carbs. In general terms, this is a game that can never be won, as many have found out. In the 1983 classic, classic movie, War Games, the supercomputer Joshua learned this lesson that we need to learn today. Games game. The only winning mood is not to play. The only way to win is not to play. Ms. Wong is finding out that not only did nobody ask for this because nobody cared about this, but now that she's stepped into this quicksand, she'll never make anyone happy. The right will be angry because of the catering to the woke mob. The left will always be angry because it's obvious pandering and not enough of it. And from the comments, they apparently think that a candy company can change policy or that Ms. Wong can vote in or sway Congress. They want M&Ms to change the world, and if they can't do that, what good are they? To which, again, I say, they're good for getting my belly, and, and that's about all. Now, from a Christian standpoint, we've seen this over and over. The Bible relates the history of man and the absolute disregard for God, turning to their own way time and time again. I have yet to find an account where this has turned out well. Proverbs 21 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. 
We think we're so smart, so woke. In Genesis 6, right before we meet Noah, we find out the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This was an entire population that felt that their own way was the right way, and their own way was evil, thoroughly evil. Throughout the Old Testament, we laugh at the pattern of the Israelites of sin, rescue, repentance, sin, over and over. And the book of Judges closes with one of the saddest commentaries on the tribes of Dan and Benjamin, the Israelites in general, and in reality all of mankind, saying, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They had a king. God was their king. But just like the Israelites so long ago, humanity today has ignored the king. We've told the king that he's no longer needed. He's dismissed. And we've gone so far as to convince ourselves that there never was a king. In fact, we're the kings. We make the rules. See, when we disconnect from God and the truth found in his word, when we disconnect from logic that God created and implanted in everyone, we're left with nothing. We're lost in a wilderness with nothing to guide us, the ground falling out from underneath us, and no ability to think or reason in order to come up with our next move. The businesses, media, outlets, celebrities, and people in general that are trying to keep up with the ever-changing world that's being crafted by the lost and the blind are doing nothing but swatting at a swarm of bees. They may get one every now and then, but they're going to get stung much more than they're going to connect. The only way out of this, truly out of this, is a return to God, a return to a firm foundation of truth, reality, and logic. Now, as I realize that not everyone or every company will be Christ-based, will be Christians, as much as that would be preferable, what does someone like Ms. Wong do now? Well, in my opinion, for what it's worth, the only way out of this is to backtrack. A statement that although they thought they were doing something positive, they now realize it was a tone-deaf move. State that the characters will be going back to the way they've been for decades and apologize for being wrong. And then weather the brief storm that's coming. If they don't do this, they'll never keep up. They'll never do enough. They'll never win the game. The only thing they can do is learn to not play. A lesson we could all use. Follow the rules from the ultimate rule giver and rule maker. Don't play some screwed up version that someone with clear psychiatric and spiritual issues made up. Imagine with me, if you will, a time where people were unjustly judged simply by the color of their skin. Now, you might think I'm talking about today and the evils of Whitey, but in fact I'm not. No, although present day is turning into a repeat of what we generally term the civil rights era, only in reverse because apparently we're too stupid to understand that as a general rule, segregation and demonization based on skin color always turns out badly. I'm talking about the original, as it were. According to HistoryNet.com, Jackie Robinson was born in Georgia in 1919. Shortly after he was born, his father abandoned the family, which then moved to California. In high school, Jackie stood out as a fantastic athlete. Unfortunately, Jackie was black. Now, I want you to picture Major League Baseball today. I know, not as popular as it once was. I still love it. Love my cubbies. I want you to think about the diversity in the MLB. Colors ranging from pasty white to nearly black, representing not only the United States but 20 other countries and territories. 
Jackie Robinson was the man credited with setting the machine in motion to allow the others, the non-whites, into the major leagues. HistoryNet.com says he, quote, is remembered as the man who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball and was the first African-American inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Jackie had to deal with insults, threats, which he did, and, and by doing so, he paved the way for other minorities to get into the majors. Jackie broke down a barrier that was only erected based on the amount of melanin in the skin. The bravery, the tenacity to just stand up and say, I'm exactly like you. I'm just a different shade. Treat me equally is something to be applauded and commended. Jackie Robinson, along with so many other black Americans, regardless of religious political affiliation, should be given their due respect for bucking a system that was, in fact, racist. The thing with those such as Jackie Robinson is that they didn't do it for notoriety. They just wanted to be considered humans like they are. Fast forward to today. Let me introduce you to the new Jackie Robinson, Leah Thomas, the self-proclaimed Jackie Robinson of trans sports. Well, we'll be looking at an article from The Blaze entitled, She Said She Is Like the Jackie Robinson of Trans Sport, Transgender Swimmer Competing Against Women Reportedly Claims Parallel to Jackie Robinson. I mean, seriously, I think we need to have some universal rules on headline length here. Anyways... Let's dive in, <clears throat> pun, 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 shall we? As with some of the articles I'm reviewing, this article seems to be written fine. It's the concept that is so illogical that it's just begging to be covered. Leah Thomas, whose dead name is Will Thomas, is a swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania and was a swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania. Let me start here. Just to put this out front. I absolutely sympathize with people who are genuinely dealing with gender dysphoria or homosexuality. If those are different things, I honestly don't know anymore. As a Christian, I have gone back and forth on this topic in my mind. Here's what I do know. God created us to have two arms and two legs and five digits poking out at the end of each of those and sight and hearing and the ability to walk and talk grow in stature and mind. In short, he designed man to exist absent of any physical or mental disabilities. Then sin. And with the entrance of sin into the world, entropy, the breaking down of everything toward a state of chaos, occurred. We now see physical disabilities, birth defects, cancers, mental disabilities. My current viewpoint on those legitimately struggling with same-sex attraction or the feeling that they aren't physically outside what they feel like inside, is that this, again, is a mental or a psychological deficiency. This is most likely another, for lack of a better term, birth defect. This one being in the mind, chemically or physiologically, I, I don't know. I'll admit, I'm open for debate on this. Not that an individual is created incorrectly. Rather, why is this seeming disconnect occurring? As of right now in the United States, the statistics say that less than 1% of the population is transgender, and about 5.5% of adults in the U.S. identify as homosexual. Out of that, with the prevalence of influencers online, with the push by the entertainment industry, and the ever-increasing desire by people to be famous in any way possible, there's at least a percentage of those that are not actually struggling with these feelings internally, they're literally making a choice based on external factors. 
I could never claim to know for sure if Leo, Will, Thomas is one or the other. But all this being said, I will use male pronouns throughout as I will default to the biological gender based on chromosomes, but I will use his preferred name of Leah as a name despite possible parental objections is eventually, literally, your choice. So a brief background on this transition. Will swam the 2017 to 18, 18 to 19, and 19 to 20 seasons in the men's division. Looking back at the recaps of the events, he actually did pretty well, the vast majority of finishes being firsts and seconds. He has stated that it was during the summer of 2018 where he started to feel that he should be, or was, a woman. A year later, in May of 2019, he started the hormone replacement therapy, but still competed in the men's division. And you can see that his overall condition, likely due to his mental state, his training regimen, and hormone therapy, it cratered. He only swam in a few meets and did not do well in them in general. He took the year of COVID off at the school and rejoined both school and now the women's team for the 21-22 season. So far in this current season, he, who used to be a distance swimmer only, has swam in a number of shorter individual and relay events, as well as a few distance events, and is generally crushing everyone with 18 first place finishes, a 50% increase over his last three seasons combined, and the smashing of women's record after record. Now, this is where you or I would have really first heard of him. There, as can be understood, is a massive amount of controversy around him swimming as a woman, regardless of the hormone therapy, as there has been in various other sports and venues of women having to compete against men that are identifying as women. My intention is not to go into the fairness of an individual growing up for 20 years as a man with all the physical and chemical advantages in terms of strength and conditioning as compared to women. You can look that up for yourself. But here's where I have the problem. Leah's attitude. This is what really makes me question the sincerity of his struggle and the self-proclaimed comparison to Jackie Robinson. He has claimed that swimming is everything to him and that he's been swimming since he was, I believe, five. He said that he held off on the hormones because he wasn't certain if he'd be able to swim competitively. I'm of the opinion that if he legitimately loved or loves the sport of swimming, that he would look at his team and the sport in general and decide that the best thing to do, rather than destroy the potential future in the sport of other women, that he would do something else. What is that something? I don't know. There's no doubt that he would not be able to compete with the men at the same high level anymore, but that doesn't mean that you flip over to the other side of the binary coin and crush them. In fact, as quoted in the article, a female teammate has said, quote, she laughs about it and mocks the situation. Instead of caring or showing that she cares about what she's doing to her teammates, she's not sympathetic or empathetic at all. Leah never addressed our team. She never asked if it was okay. She never asked how we felt. She never tried to explain how she feels. She never has said anything to us as a group. She never addressed anything, end quote. So let me ask you, does this sound like someone that's struggling internally? This teammate goes on to explain that on their last training trip, a trip to Florida, the team was told not to wear any pen gear just to avoid any harassment or trouble from people due to this issue. The team, as a whole, complied with this, as difficult as it was for some, having a large percentage of pen gear as their normal everyday clothing, save for one individual, Leah. This unnamed female said that Leah seemed to make it a point 
to wear something with pen, swim, and dive on it every single day, airport, gym, wherever. Again, let me ask you, does this sound like an individual that's struggling with this push and pull, that's asking for understanding and sympathy? No, I'm sorry, this sounds like an individual that has found a way to get the attention he so desperately desires, the success he craves, and is willing to run over anyone in his way to get it. As for the arrogance and sheer hubris of this man to claim a parallel to Jackie Robinson, let's point out a few things. One, there was one other recorded black man in the major leagues before Jackie, Moses Fleetwood Walker. He was a catcher for the Toledo Blue Stockings in 1884 as a mixed-race individual, an Irish father and an African-American mother who had been a slave. Although he was the first... Jackie was the one that broke the barrier, allowing other non-whites to enter the professional sport. In contrast, the history of transgender athletes in college and professional competition goes back much farther than Leah and has been a topic of discussion and rule modification for nearly 20 years now. Leah is not the first, and Leah is not the catalyst for getting others in the sport, as that ship has already sailed. Number two, Although he may be in the news right now, it's really not for anything positive, and I have a hard time believing that history will look back kindly at a man that's destroying his teammates for his own glory. I have a feeling that history will have two completely different viewpoints with regard to Jackie versus Leah. Number three, Jackie was not trying to be something he wasn't. Jackie was born with additional melanin. Which, I'll be honest, I look at myself in the mirror, which I recently discovered I should not be doing with my reading spectacles on, and the age is apparent. There is definitely something to the saying of black don't crack, and how many of us would love to not have to worry about being sunburned, at least not to the degree us melanin-deficient humans do. My point is that Jackie was simply darker-skinned. He just wanted to be looked at as a person, a man. He wasn't fighting for his right to play Little League as a man, for instance. He wasn't looking for an advantage. He didn't want an advantage. He just wanted to play the game he loved. He also wasn't looking for fame and notoriety. He wasn't looking at this as a platform for him to launch his celebrity status. Leah, I don't know his motivation, but from the statements of his teammate, his attitude regarding the situation... And the total lack of understanding that what he's doing is literally the spirit of being a bad sport, I would have to say that the outward appearance of what's motivating him is not good. This is not being done in the same spirit as Jackie Robinson. And four, I realize that Leah has likely had hate thrown his way, maybe some threats, but he has no room to compare with what blacks were up against in the civil rights era. Dogs, fire hoses, unlawful law enforcement, and constant and very real threats of being brutalized or murdered. A hateful tweet somehow seems to pale in comparison. Additionally, the NCAA and IOC have been, as I stated, working on how to include transgender individuals into the binary sports system we have today for nearly 20 years. And the vast majority of the media, the press, celebrities, and athletes are bending over backwards to praise and glorify Leah and others like him for being so brave and leading the way. Is this what Jackie saw? Did he have everyone fawning over him? Not hardly. I would feel comfortable wagering that if Leah were to come under the same pressures that Jackie Robinson did, Leah would not be so bold, and Leah would not persist. 
Jackie Robinson literally fought against society. Leah is freestyling in the middle of the river with a very strong current and making a mockery of all those that fought with their time, fortune, blood, and life to allow non-whites to be seen for the content of their character rather than the color of their skin, to quote MLK Jr. So no, Leah is not the Jackie Robinson of trans sport. Leah is not the civil rights freedom fighter that he fancies himself. Leah is a very confused individual in a very confused era of humanity. On a practical level, what do we do? I don't know. There are suggestions for a third category of competition, a trans category, but shouldn't we really have trans men and trans women categories? As those are very unique in physiology as well. I don't have a good practical answer because this is literally a very minuscule issue, but it's having a major impact, and there's no sign it's going to get better anytime soon. More importantly, as a Christian, I don't hate Leah, and neither should you. We should be praying for Leah. We should be praying that Leah will come to a repentant, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We should also be praying for those athletic governing bodies and the other athletes that are being forced to contend with these issues they never should have had to. This is a world ravaged by sin. Eventually, Jesus will return and set everything right. But until that day, our job as Christians is to be Christians to always be ready with an answer, to go and tell, to continue to live in the truth of God's word, day in and day out, despite the ever-increasing difficulties. So while we're praying, let's pray that we can continue soldiering or trudging on boldly and lovingly proclaiming the truth. I came across this next gem, and now I'm pretty sure that I'm probably on some sort of a list. From USA Today, headline, the Complicated Research Behind Pedophilia. Now, reading that headline makes me think, what's so complicated? This just doesn't seem like a complicated issue to me. But in reading the article, the issue has seemingly been made very complicated by the psychiatric community, at least in my opinion. The opening paragraph really outlines the entire article. Quote, Pedophilia is viewed as among the most horrifying social ills but scientists who study the sexual disorder say it is also among the most misunderstood. Now, the author further fleshes out the premise, stating that although the most common association when hearing the term pedophile is that of sexual abuse of a child, which she acknowledges is a massively large problem, the term doesn't always equal abuse of a child, and using it to describe attraction and or abuse can cause misperceptions. Okay. She then dissects the term in following the current psychiatric thinking between not only people who are attracted to children, generally considered pedophiles, and those who abuse children for other reasons, attraction not being one of them. But also she distinguishes between pedophiles who act on their desires and urges and those who don't. You can see how this is getting more complicated by the second here. It's at this point in the article that the many possible or agreed-upon reasons for this attraction, acted on or not, start coming quickly. The current theory essentially boils down to the fact that the propensity to be attracted to a child, considered to be prepubescent to be classified as pedophilia, is determined in the womb and that there's nothing that can be done about the attraction. The only choice available is to act or not to act. According to the experts, including Ray Milton Blanchard, a sexologist primarily studying transsexualism 
pedophilia, and sexual orientation, who incidentally co-wrote the section about sexual disorders in the latest psychiatric manual, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, revision number 5, more commonly called the DSM-5, he states that pedophilia could be a hormonal issue in the mother. It could be genetic. It could just be a male thing that's exaggerated in some, etc. But whatever the reason, the general agreement is that there's nothing you can do about it. Studies have suggested that even with treatment, the known recidivism rate is up to 50% for abusers, but could be much higher as there's no way to guess how many repeat the offense post-treatment but never get caught. Through continued refining of the psychiatric position on pedophilia, the determination has been made with the writing of the DSM-5 that those who have desires to have sex with children but don't act on them and have no distress in coping with the desires no longer are considered to have a psychiatric condition. Says Ray Blanchard, quote, the difference from the last edition of the DSM is you're not automatically saying that as soon as someone has a marked, unusual erotic interest that they have a mental disorder. Essentially, this is saying that aside from illegal acts like sex with a child, other atypical consensual sexual behaviors, regardless of the level of general acceptance, are just fine. It doesn't mean any sort of mental disorder exists, so no need to worry about it. According to an article on Theravive.com, a self-described, quote, network of licensed therapists and psychologists committed to helping people receive the best mental health care available, the DSM-5 originally described the pedophilic disorder as a sexual orientation. This, when the public caught wind, caused somewhat of a disturbance as labeling something that's a crime as an orientation generally defangs the disorder and the criminality. They then changed the wording to indicate preference, but in short order corrected that saying that they should have used the word interest. However, other psychiatric experts still utilize the term sexual preference which in my opinion has the same end result as orientation, just making pedophilia as accepted as any other preference. A few months ago, an Old Dominion University assistant professor resigned after an outcry arose when Alan Walker, a self-described queer identifying as they-them, suggested that pedophiles should be re-termed as minor attracted persons, or MAPs. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, them's reasoning for this is that it could make it easier for MAPS to request help by removing the stigma. Now, you may never have heard of this term, but they's hardly the first human to suggest this. A few years ago, a TED Talk was given using this term. As of today, there are MAP communities on various social media sites. There are websites that are dedicated to MAPS, and not on the dark web, just out there. At this point, I would like it to be known that I decline to click on any search results as having the terms pedophilia and minor attracted persons in my search history is bad enough. So why am I covering this? Well, the concerning aspect of this entire story is the increasing desire to classify pedophilia as an orientation or preference, a pedophile as a minor attracted person, and this disorder as a natural occurrence that can't be addressed or changed. Although the main article under review is written logically enough, the underlying premise of the entire article and this issue in general is based outside of logic, 
or at least true logic. From a humanist worldview, the struggle to classify these types of disorders is very understandable. From a Christian worldview, this is easily classified as the result of sin. I previously covered an article discussing the recent conversion therapy ban in Canada. There are many strong parallels between that story and this one. Admittedly, this is my opinion, but to me, it seems logical to say that at least in some cases, some percentage, pedophilia just as homosexuality could be a neurological birth defect. The basic social trend, however, is starting to follow the same trend we've seen regarding homosexuality and transgenderism. Originally considered a disorder, it was then reclassified and softened, it was then accepted as a deviance from the norm, but not in itself wrong or bad. Then it was accepted as just another orientation, same as any other. Then it was normalized, then celebrated, then pushed, and now considered untouchable. Make no mistake that the normalization and celebration of pedophilia is coming, and there will be a day soon, relatively speaking, where it will also be illegal to bring shame on the pedophile by trying to convert them away from their perversion. In reading these various articles, it becomes quite clear that the man-made psychiatric system has no idea what to do with people suffering from or dealing with or perfectly fine with sexual desires for children. The reclassification whittling down the population of those considered to have a disorder smaller and smaller is their only answer. By doing this, it normalizes a larger and larger percent of this population, thus making the problem needing to be dealt with smaller and smaller. As Christians, it may not seem plausible today, but mark my words, we will slowly be considered more discriminatory and hateful as we hold to what the Bible tells us of sin, sexual perversions, and the freedom that salvation through Christ offers. For now, we still have the opportunity to speak out, to help, to promote biblical counselors or Christian counselors over the Freudian-based a-religious counseling that's prevalent in society to help those legitimately struggling with this specific sin and sin in general. All one needs to do is perform a quick search and you'll find church after church, used in the loosest of terms, and ordained clergy of all stripes that have capitulated to the world and the false narrative that, quote, love is love. This is quite clearly a slippery slope, with the bottom landing squarely in hell to any thinking born-again Christian today. Don't be fooled by that errant message. Hold fast to what you believe. Get your nose in the word. True love is not just going along or, or worse yet, proclaiming acceptance so as to not hurt feelings. True love is to tell others the truth, the true truth, and be open to being the vessel the Holy Spirit uses to bring another person drowning in sin to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As the winds of social change blow more and more violently as time goes on, let me encourage you to stay strong, hold the line, and look to God for strength. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. 
If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.